0: Word Habakkuk is a bit of a strange one. If I'm if I'm being honest, I was I was in the same boat as Phil, and I was thinking, how am I supposed to pronounce this? And um, when I was desperately scouring the internet for cheats and interesting things that I could say about Habakkuk, and I was hoping there would be some kind of profound video that that made sense of this whole uh, this whole book for us, and there isn't. Um, but I did find an interesting video called How to Pronounce Habakkuk, and I played it, and for five minutes, every couple of seconds, somebody would say, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And as I waited patiently for something more interesting to happen, I realized that this wasn't going to be the case. And actually, it is pronounced as you read it, Habakkuk apparently. So Phil, I got the, uh, I got the, 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 uh, the jump on you there, but um, we've all learned. If, if you've already learned something tonight, I can't miss a successful preaching mission right from the word go. Now, um, Habakkuk, I've got a bit of a theory about the Old Testament and hopefully a a slide is going to come up on the screen which shows a, um, a photograph of Sir Alex Ferguson, a statue of him being revealed at Old Trafford. Now, there you go, that's the image. In your mind's eye, if you will go with me on this journey for one moment, enter your imagination, just close your eyes for a sec. I want you to picture within your imagination the biggest most awesome statue you have ever seen. If it's got features or if it looks like, you know, um, one of Michelangelo's David or something like that, just forget that because this statue is epic in proportion, but it is shrouded in a cloak, just like that image of Sir Alex Ferguson that you've just seen. If you are picturing Sir Alex Ferguson in your mind, please stop um, because I'm not a huge fan because I'm a Tottenham fan. Um, so in your mind's eye, you've got this picture, this giant statue, this epic statue, but you can't see what it is. Now you can feel free to look at me now. Now you've got that image seared into your brain. Because I think the Bible works a little bit like this. It's not just a book, as you've heard many times if you come along to Oasis. It's a library. It's a library that's telling a story over the ages. It's taking thousands of years to reveal something incredible about who God is. It's a bit like that statue in your mind and that, that, that cloth, that, that piece of fabric being pulled away from the statue, revealing the secret underneath, revealing what's underneath. But it happens over an extremely long period of time, over thousands of years, for generations, for millennia. But slowly but surely, through our journey through the prophets and through the Old Testament and new, we begin to see what the statue is. It is slowly, bit by bit, revealed. We can slowly, piece by piece, make sense, or try to make some sense, about this grand narrative about who God is. You see, Old Testament prophets like Habakkuk, they've got a bit, they've got a bit of who God is. And then they try and fill in the blanks. They try and make sense of that glimpse of God that they've received. Now, another interesting thing I learned on my journey of Habakkuk is what the word actually means. The word Habakkuk literally means, translated into English, clinger. What do you cling to? The word Habakkuk means, you know, he was clinging. That's what it means. like my name, Daniel, means God has judged. Favorably, I'm pleased to say. Favorably. Habakkuk 's name literally means clinger, and what Habakkuk was doing was he was taking this understanding about who God is and desperately trying to cling to what he knew and trying to make sense of it by filling in some of the blanks. We have a rather different perspective on some of these things, which i 'll come to in a little bit, but the question is what do we cling to? What do we Habakkuk to that 's my kind of first question here this evening over the weeks if you 've been coming along on a Sunday night. Our, perhaps our traditional point of view or a traditional point of view of, on God has been challenged. This kind of image of God as this kind of cosmic puppeteer, pulling all the strings, making everything happen, making bad things happen. And we just have to trust that although it seems bad to us, it somehow kind of makes sense in the grand scheme of things. There had to be that tragedy. And although I can't understand the wisdom in it, God's playing a much bigger game. So somehow that tragedy is sort of good because God is good and he must have made it happen. This kind of traditional point of view on God is somehow and deeply challenged over our time of unpacking these minor prophets, what do we cling to? If we cling to that kind of God, if we take the kind of just traditional view of God, that many people who perhaps don't go on this journey of theology and thinking and unpacking and trying to engage with God actively. So we saw a video a few weeks ago of Stephen Fry, um, for the benefit of anybody listening back another time, um, you can look up very famous clip clip of Stephen Fry appearing on some on Catholic TV and he refers back to this kind of how can God be God? How can God exist because actually he says he 's love, but there is so much evil in the world. I know that actually things aren 't that black and white things aren 't that simple. you have to engage with it and wrestle with it and journey with it. We see Habakkuk wrestling with God here, although In a way, I will will kind of go through the book in a few kind of short snippets in a moment. Although it doesn't quite add up, I don't think the kind of narrative that Habakkuk takes us on really makes a whole lot of sense in many, many ways. Habakkuk knew something. He knew that to wrestle with God and to engage with these things, there was a journey to go on. And some people kind of outside of a, of a faith group or a church group or a theological group, sometimes miss the point that actually you've got to engage with these stuff to really form a solid opinion about it. You've got to wrestle with it. It's not simply black and white. You've got to kind of go on a journey with these things. But if you cling to that very simple version of God, that God is this cosmic puppeteer, this kind of all seeing, all powerful being that controls your every step, it's quite simple to really approach this book. Here's what happens. Habakkuk says, how long? How long? Oh, cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? How long? He's crying, why God? Why do we live in the world that we live in? And the Lord answers him. The Lord says this. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed because I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told and I think he then goes on to tell him, which I find slightly confusing. And he says this, he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. And he goes on to say, guilty people whose own strength is their God. That's how that bit ends. Habakkuk asks, why? And God says, well, I'm doing it. It's my fault. I'm raising up these people. I'm giving them power. It's all part of my great big plan. And then Habakkuk says, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're supposed to be a righteous God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why do do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk says, God, that doesn't really make sense, that you're making this happen, that you're pulling that string. I'm not sure this really adds up. Then the Lord answers. It's kind of like a, a letter of comfort. You know, if you've ever been through some legal proceedings, I've seen a few of those whilst I've been working at Oasis. It's kind of like a letter of comfort. God says, um, God says, send out this letter of comfort. Their time will come. And he lists a whole bunch of woes. Woe to him who builds a city in bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has the Lord Almighty determined that people's la- labor is only fuel for the fire? Woe to him who drinks the drinks who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from their wineskin until they are drunk. The violence you have done in Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed land and cities and everyone in them. So we go from this kind of why, this kind of, this, this complaint. God's saying, well, I'm doing it. And then Habakkuk says, but that doesn't make sense. And then God says, well, don't worry, Habakkuk, because their time will come. I will destroy them. So you're raising up these people, God, and yeah, they're doing this thing. And then you're just going to say, you're not actually answering with why. You're just saying, don't worry. Cling on to hope, and then eventually I'll destroy them, and you win. And then Habakkuk, in his final bit, he says, so God doesn't really answer the question. And then God says in the final bit, um, then Habakkuk says in the final bit, when he says his prayer, that's in the last chapter, chapter three, it's only three chapters long, so you can have a look at this a little later. He basically says, my God is the great God. My God will destroy. He will terrify. He will win. And I'm going to rub my hands together and wait for the calamity to come to my enemies. So we have this really odd journey. We have a complaint. Then God says, well, I'm doing it. Habakkuk says, well, why are you doing it? God says, I'm not answering that question, but don't worry. I'll destroy them. And then Habakkuk says, great, God's on my side. It's a kind of an odd narrative to go through in this book that I can't quite make sense. Now, I think it's all a matter of perspective. Um, James, if you could play that, that video, uh, some of you will have seen this on social media and around Facebook, um, but it's a really clever video that kind of says something. I did find a clever video, much to everyone's relief. Um, you can watch this, and it's pretty cool. It's only a couple of seconds long. what you're going to see is a pile of junk which has been turned into something incredible. That face. And as the camera begins to pan round, you can see that it is indeed just a pile of old junk that somebody's turned into something really rather incredible. Perspective, context is everything. Now, I was this video here we go there you go pretty incredible stuff perspective is everything now a few weeks ago I was on the bus coming from where I live in Woolworth um, to to work um, and it was for an evening evening session and I'd got a great plan set up for the young people it was going to be awesome and um, I'm sure you've all had the experience if you sit on the bus, Every so that a young person or young adult will get on the bus, it's normally not a grandmother or an elderly person, but you know, I wouldn't rule them out. A young person gets on the bus and they've got their music in their phone, phone thumping, you know, that you get these really loud speakers in your phones now. And they're, they're sitting at the back of the bus and they've got their music blaring and they couldn't really care less about anyone else and people are getting a bit, you know, agitated and they're feeling a bit intimidated. Has, has anyone else had that experience and they've sat on a bus and had that exact same thing happen to them? You can get, put your hand up if you like. Oh, most of you, that's great. Um, for anyone who hasn't put their hand up, you obviously don't ride a bus. I hope the car is wonderful. I wish I could afford one. Anyway, so I'm sitting on the bus and people are getting really rather agitated around me. And sometimes, every so often, you know, I'm, I'm a passionate guy. Sometimes I let, I let that passion get the better of me and I decide to deploy righteous rage. All of a sudden I imagined myself in first century Palestine faced with the, the temple courts full of people wheeling and dealing in God's temple. And I, I imagined myself being the person of Jesus thrown over those tables and, and distributing righteous judgment. So I strode to the back of the bus and I was like, you don't know, intimidate me. And I said to, and I said to this dad, I said, listen. Why is it that we've got to listen to your music? Everyone's just trying to ride the bus in peace. Everyone's just trying to have a peaceful journey. But yet, we, but people are in literally intimidated by what you're doing. Anyway, I was a bit surprised because as, as this, this young lad looked up at me, he must have been like you know, 17 or 18, I could see that, that he'd been crying. So obviously, I immediately felt an overwhelming sense of unrighteous judgment flowing my way, I felt terrible, and, and so I, I sat down next to him, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, but like, I didn't mean to upset you, and he said, oh, it's, it's, not, it's not you, it's just that um, I've just come from my brother's funeral, and and I'm just completely, I'm completely devastated, completely lost without him, and he said, I put my music on because I didn't want to people around me to hear me crying, and so I was like, oh, so, do you want to talk about that? You know, I'm a nice guy, really. I mean, then we didn't really. I just said, oh, I'm really sorry to have disturbed you and kind of sheepishly made my way back to my seat and said, why don't you turn it up? I really like it, really. But it, you know, it was a truly embarrassing moment because perspective in that situation is everything. That I approached that situation without any understanding. I made a judgment about who he was and the situation he was in. And I turned out to be way, way, way off base perspective is everything. And in Habakkuk's perspective, he's dealing with a, a tribal God. His, his background and his context, 3,000 years ago this is, or thereabouts, and, and his understanding of how the world works is completely different from my understanding of how the world works. He was talking from a tribal perspective where they had their God, and you, see, you read it, I mean even God refers to the other people's God, you know, in um, verse 11 in chapter 1, He says, then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose strength is their God. You know, this tribal perspective on how God's worked. And Steve mentioned a couple of weeks ago that people, God's were interchangeable. You know, you had to try and get the best God on your side. And then you would say that God is all powerful. It's interesting, isn't it? That even when we sing worship songs, I made a little joke with Steve a couple of weeks ago because I was leading worship. And I found it really difficult to pick some songs that didn't, kind of drum up some complicated imagery because actually we have this kind of progressive theology this kind of outward open outlook on God and sometimes it takes a while for the words to catch up we know in our hearts how to be inclusive but we haven't always got the words to make sense of how we feel within we've got this faith that we cling to but we haven't always got the dialogue but Habakkuk makes that point beautifully doesn't he that we have to dialogue we have to wrestle we have to go on that journey The conversation, that I imagine, does go on for many of us if we go back to that kind of call and response that we see through those three chapters. How long, Lord? Why? This doesn't make any sense. Why has that person gone through that tragedy? Why did that boy on the bus, why did his brother have to die so young? In Habakkuk's world, the Lord would reply, look, I'm in charge. I made it happen. I did it. Habakkuk would say, I would say, but you don't stand for evil. Why did that murder happen? Why did that person get hit by a bus? God, not answering my question, just says, send this, send this out in comfort. People's, the bad people's time will come. I will smite them. I'll do them in. And then Habakkuk just, just says, my God is massive. My God is so great. There's nothing that he cannot do. That's kind of the situation we find Habakkuk in. And in how many churches do we know where that message is still true? In how many songs do we sing where that message is still true? How often do we find people who just say, hey, you don't have to understand it. You just got to have faith. You just got to trust that it's part of God's plan. God somehow and for some reason has made that happen. God's called that person away to be with him. God needs him. We try and make sense of things that we don't understand in the most illogical ways. And we build churches around that kind of thinking. That message is pervasive across so many churches, but also other faith groups. It's it's pervasive across Islam. It's pervasive across Judaism. It's pervasive across all culture. Because we're constantly just making it up as we go along. What God do you cling to? One who just says... Trust me, I pull all the strings. I'm the cosmic puppeteer, and I make everything happen. There's no coincidence, just my unfathomable plan. It looks bad, but don't worry, it'll all make sense in the end. I'm not entirely sure that's good enough for me. I'm not entirely sure I can, I can pallet that. I'm not entirely sure that I want to carry that with me, and for that to be the message that I take to the boy on the back of the bus, I'm not sure I want to comfort somebody by saying, hey, I know you don't understand it, but God loves you and he took your brother for a reason. For some reason, that doesn't cut it with me. And I don't think it would cut it for most of us if we were in that same situation. Think back for a moment to the curtain, the curtain that shrouds that statue. The curtain comes down and the statue is revealed. I think for us, What is revealed throughout the passage of scripture, throughout this journey of the Bible, that the journey of those 66 books is the message of the cross centrally. What's hiding away under that piece of fabric is the message of Jesus. Habakkuk approaches God from his tribal perspective with a glimpse. But we approach God from a Jesus perspective. That's where we find that power to be inclusive. That's where we find that hunger to make sure that everybody is welcome. That's where we find that desire to say, hey, the doors are open. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever situation you're in, come, come. find a bit of breathing space with us because we approach God from that Jesus perspective. And interestingly, how does, the, how does that change the conversation that we see through Habakkuk? Maybe it's something like this. How long, Lord? This just doesn't make sense. God's response. Look, just as I did with Habakkuk, he didn't quite capture quite what I meant. And he kind of put it into his own words. But here's here's what I meant to say through those words. I know that there is so much evil in the world. I know that you've got your Babylonians to face. I know it feels like they're victorious. I recognise, I walk with you in your pain. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. I'm in it with you. But how can it be, God? You don't stand for evil. How can you let these things happen? Habakkuk, I don't have an answer for you. I'm afraid to say. But know this. The wealthy the powerful, the celebrity, the people who crush other people to make their way through life and to put themselves at the top of the pile in this world. Come the end of their life, and it says it somewhere in here, it says that they won't be clothed in glory, they'll be clothed in shame, I can't remember which number it is. Come the end of their life, when they're reflecting on who they've been, it won't matter then, it won't matter then, And there will be shame for them because they didn't build something better. I know that's the way it is now, but hold on, cling on, cling on to hope. Keep asking the tough questions. I'm sorry there's no easy answer, but actually the truth will come out in the end. And then Habakkuk's response might be this. My God understands. There are no easy answers, but he understands. His kingdom is built by people like me who choose sacrifice over dominion, who laid down their lives for others instead of living for themselves. Come the end, I know that I'll be at peace knowing I was creating a world worth living in. I will rejoice in the Lord and joyful in God who saves me from myself. What this journey what the journeys through this book tells us is that the Bible is the unveiling of, a, of who God is. Habakkuk had a glimpse, and he did his best with it, and he wrote a great book about clinging to hope and having faith and persevering, even when the answers weren't quite what you want them to be. A great thing for us to take away. He reveals a great dialogue, which I think should comfort us, because it means that we can do the same. He made sense of all the violence and a sense that would have been comforting to many at the time. But I don't think he can quite understand yet the God of the universe. The God who gets crucified, instead of the God who crucifies. The God who gets crucified, instead of the God who crucifies. See, the lens of Jesus transforms our approach to Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3. He wants to say, my God is great and he will smash everybody and he will bring me victory in the end. But the perspective of Jesus and the lens of the cross transforms that. Instead of going, you are the mighty, you are the terrifying, you are the God who is on my side and will bring me victory. Our prayer becomes, you are the God who serves, sacrifices, gets crucified, who calls my hands to help be an answer to prayer who calls my hands to help build the kingdom of God. And our conversation transforms again, maybe a little like this. Why? I cry, why, God, why? God's answer. I walk with you. God, I I wrestle with you. I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. And God says, just cling to hope. Persevere. Keep going. Do not give up. And my prayer at the end, I hope, would be this. Together, I partner with God. And together, we answer some prayers. Together, we respond to that injustice. The perspective that Jesus brings to this whole situation is that no longer is God some kind of like butler in the sky who you ask a request of and he gives it to you or doesn't, as the case may be. The model of Jesus is it's a God who goes to work. And it's a God who needs us to go to work too. That's how prayers get answered. Not just by like putting it in like a gambling prayer. Hopefully, if I get the combination of words right this time, God will grant my wish. Or if I rub the lamp enough, maybe God the genie will pop out and say, you've got three wishes. It doesn't work like that. We partner with God and we become the answer to prayer. See, Jesus gave us the first few notes of a, of a great symphony, didn't he? And we do our best to keep that melody going. And our job is to keep playing that soundtrack of service without strings. In the current challenges of today, no longer clinging to that kind of puppeteer God, pulling all the strings, who just says, I'm going to make it happen. But still wrestling like Habakkuk did, still questioning like Habakkuk did, crying out and clinging to hope just as Habakkuk did. I think for me, I mean, I've been with Oasis now for for three and a half years, and I think what's great about being part of Oasis is our decision to participate. It's our decision to wrestle and to cling to God, to create and continue this, this melody of justice and inclusion, and a God who walks with us, a God who walks with us, rather than just saying, I make it all happen. To not do that kind of woe to him thing anymore but to try and be the burdens, to be the bearers of each other's burdens. And start putting together the building blocks of his kingdom. So in a moment, we're going to share communion. And Flick, I'm going to ask you to ready yourself, because I need you to play some nice music. But this is how we're going to approach communion today. Habakkuk reminds us to cry, why? And he reminds us that it's okay to cry, why? And he reminds us that it's okay to wrestle with God. But the lens of Jesus reminds us that it's self-sacrifice that sometimes turns why into when and how. And in partnership with God, we begin to tackle injustice and we begin to answer those prayers together. Why? It's not fair. I wrestle with you. But together, we begin to form the answer. That is what the church was put on this earth to do. To start being the answer to those prayers. Those cries that have been being cried throughout the thousands of years of history. That is why we are here. The statue is revealed. We understand the lens by which God wants us to approach the world. It's through the cross, it's through self-sacrifice, it's through the way of Jesus. You see, that kind of hope changes from a desperate cling to a distant dream of what God is like into a kingdom that we are building together today.